Hey, Mel's. Hi, what's up, Acadia? Can we call this episode of American Horror Stream Snakes on a Plate? No. How about Plan B the morning after? Hmm, Rongo Bongo. What are we going to call it then? We're calling this episode Interview with a Langdon. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! All right, let's do that. How's everybody on this fine Friday evening? Yeah, it is nice. It's a nice evening to talk about American Horror Story instead of doing other things that aren't that. This is true. If you're in the state of Texas like I am, you are avoiding the flood that is happening right now. So you can tune into this live stream and talk some fun stuff about American Horror Story. Yep. Or if you listen to it on iTunes, you should check the news to find out if um, Mel's is dead. <laughs> yes, please do. Keep me in your thoughts. And But if you are listening live and you want to, you can just say what's up in the chat, just like Jen Crowder and Terry Gallo. Hello! Hello! All righty. Well, I am Mel Spells. I am um, joined by the one and only Acadia Einstein. How are you doing this evening? I'm good, and I wanted this to be special, so I wore my cape, which I I don't usually wear. I like it. I was about to say you're extra sparkly tonight, and I like yep. it. It's um, it's very fancy, and uh, it was made for me by a very, very awesome lady who was really good at making capes. Well, yes, I'd say that she is a, a master of the craft because that is a good looking cape. I think capestress is the word. I like it, capestress. Well, she's mm-hmm. a talented capestress. She is. Yep, and you are looking super like. <laughs> Um, cat burglary today. Well, I was actually <laughs> going for a uh, part of the cooperative. The cooperative. I'm, oh, yeah. Oh. So maybe I was going to say like a female version of Michael Langdon, but then again, I think he looks better than me. So I'm just like the breakdown version of Michael Langdon. So how about oh that? <laughs> no, because your eyes aren't all like weird and allergied up. <laughs> Well, not right now. I took a mess in this morning. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, of course, we are on episode two of season eight, American Horror Story Apocalypse. Uh, this episode was aptly named The Morning After, which I assume is a play on the morning after we meet the Antichrist, Michael Landon. So It better uh, be. Because it can't be the morning after the apocalypse, because that ship sailed like 18 months ago. It sure did, yeah. We're we're in pretty dire straits right now uh, in um, post-nuclear world, so. Or are we? Or are we? You're right about that. <laughs> so what were your thoughts on the episode last night? Or, well, I guess it wasn't last night. Unless you're well, yeah, it was Wednesday, but the fact <laughs> is that we need we need time to, to get ready to do this. And overall, I think it was 
it was a fun episode in that they really moved things along as far as what the the overall plot of this season is going to be, I think. The problem is, and you can see it on the sign behind me, I still ain't got no witches. Where are my witches at? That's right. I don't I don't have them. I don't have my scrawny goddess. I don't have uh Myrtle. I don't have any any of the things that I like. I just got more Evan Peters ass, which mm-hmm. is fine. That's great, but I mean starting to feel a little neglected here. It's called supply and demand, Acadia, okay? I, apparently right now, Scrawny Goddess is not on the top of everyone's list. Man. <laughs> she wait. will be soon. Yeah, that's true. But I did like it. I liked it. Uh, did I like it as much as the premiere? You know what? Actually, I think I did like it as much as the premiere because it didn't have that goofy shit in the beginning, and they kind of just dragged us right in. Plus, we got our first callback to another season. Yes, 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 we did. I agree. Um, I'm glad that we didn't have any of the world is ending and this is what it looks like in a satirical type of way. Uh, Glad that that was over with and we just got to dive straight into outpost number three and what Michael Langdon's intentions are there. And, of course, we did get the big callback. Now, we are wondering where our witches are at, but I don't think they're far off because once we get into the recap, we'll see that we had a couple of calls into the coven season and a couple of teasers there that I was super excited about. So, well, I'm excited to hear the recap part because as anybody that, that knows anything about what's cooking here at gallery industries i had some weird shit done to my spine and was sort of hopped up on goofballs while i was watching the episode so this is going to be you bringing me up to speed i was about to say this might be your refresher (laughs) i'm glad i watched it about four times then to make sure (laughs) i get everything in for you so i promise when when uh emma and francis come in i will watch it a bunch of times well i was about to say when emma and and you know, Francis and Myrtle come in. I think that that's going to be when you start running the show and then I'm going to ah. be back. So, <laughs> All right. Well, that uh, without any further ado, do you want to go ahead and rate it on our cube mellows or do you want to do that after we have a recap? No, I want to go in fresh. I'm going to do the cube thing. Okay. Are we sticking with the cube thing? I like it. I mean, cube mellows or ice. Yeah, all right. We'll stick it with marshes. I like cube mellows. Yeah. I'm, I am... Uh, I'm going to keep it low because I want there to be room to grow. So I'm going to say three and a half. Okay. No halfsies. That's, that's fan critical. Why do we have to do it that way? (laughs) Okay, fine. We'll allow halfsies. Uh, I don't work on that scale. I give whole marshmallow cubes. So um, for me, I'm going to say it was a four out of five uh, cube mellows for me. It was definitely thrilling. We got a lot of revelations, uh, especially about who one of our main characters or what one of our main characters may actually be. So it, it kept me on the edge of my seat and it kept me interested. And I liked the pace that the episode actually went. It wasn't slow. It was pretty fast moving and we got a lot of you know, dialogue, and we move the story along a lot during this episode. So I'm giving it a four out of five. Really? 
You yes. sure you don't want to do it like three and seven eighths just to give yourself a little wiggle room? No, I don't have to. I don't need to wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. I got. I'm saving You're my. Good five. for ratings. <laughs> I'm saving my five for what I'm hoping in my mind is going to come to fruition, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to reveal that right now. But I'm saving my five for that. And if it never happens, this season, I don't know if I'm going to be able to give a five out. So. All right. Well, we can go ahead and jump right in. Um, I did, although I did immediately write snakes on a plate with an exclamation mark because uh, we opened in Emily's room and she has been overrun by these creepy crawlers and they are gross and they are coming out of her wardrobe and we have no clue how they got in there. Uh, I mean, it. Anything in the outside world is going to be contaminated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Right off the bat, I am now utterly convinced that that's all just a big crock of shit. Agreed 100%. As soon as that happened, I I thought, "Mm, something else is going on, which we obviously knew that was going to be the premise of the the season anyway. I mean, it's not not what it seems on the outside ever. But, uh, yeah, as soon as the snakes started showing up, I thought, well, what really happened outside or what's really going on outside? Um, my thoughts kind of changed on that later in the episode, and we'll get to that when we get there. Um, so Miriam says it has to be from some type of internal piping, something like that. And, of course, they do what they do best with any kind of fresh meat. They make it into a stew. <laughs> Which I have to say, I would I would probably eat stew stew before I would eat snake stew because it looked just disgusting. So I don't uh, know why they didn't like <laughs> mince it or some shit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they didn't have to just leave it. Like it, I don't know. It's like when they when they oh yeah you're gonna have fish so they just put the fish on your plate but it's cooked. I don't want to see what it looked like before I ate it. Yeah, I don't want to see. I mean, poor fish tree. I don't want to see your eye, and I don't oh. want to see your mouth. Yeah, they don't make hamburgers shaped like cows. <laughs> they make chicken nuggets the shape of states, though. So I don't know. But uh, well, that's the, my first thought was, why didn't you put this in a blender? And then I was like, well, I mean, obviously there there's no electricity there. Although I. Uh, I don't believe that either now. So, but yeah, the uh, snake stew was gross looking and I would have had to have passed. I would have just gone hungry for the night. However, everyone else was thrilled about this because, you know, it beats the hell out of another cube mellow, I suppose. So, um, just as everyone's digging in, of course, what happens? The snakes are alive. (laughs) I actually wrote in here, the snakes are alive with the sound of music, which I, I thought it was funny, but that's just me at 1030 at night, you know, after a long day. So one thing I thought was hilarious during this dinner scene, though, was Coco's Princess Leia hair, but I called it bootleg Princess Leia hair. Um, I mean, I don't know how she went from that fried mess atop of that head last episode to now kind of, you know, where did the style and products come from? Did my did Michael Langdon bring them with him? <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> yeah. 
So, uh, of course, we have some of our witty banter going on when this is happening. Everyone's freaking out about the snakes, but uh, Dinah comes in with her bumper sticker shit, and Nana Evie is serving up her one-hit wonders. Uh, apparently, she had that in Kuala Lumpur before, and, of course, Mr. Gallant is just rolling his eyes at his grandmother because we are, we're going to soon find out that he really hates her guts. <laughs> so... The Teenage Mutants, right off the bat, it's like all of a sudden, 18 months have gone by. Langdon, you know, flew in on his magic carpet, and, and they're, they've suddenly grown the cojones to, to stand up to Venable and want to know what's going on, right? Like, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, their their questions are starting to come, and they're not scared to ask her, which I think is bold, and I don't know what gave them the impression that they could do that, uh, you know, considering she... She walks a stern line around those parts. So um, they want to know who's there. They want to know who's in Venable's office. You know, who is this guy? What does he mean? What what news does he bring? Um, and, of course, she tells them that all, all answers do come in due time. So um, what did you think about Venable's, uh, you know, her whole attitude towards them questioning her and then wanting to know who was in her office and, uh, and what I would imagine would be her, the audacity of them to ask her what's going on. I mean, they shouldn't be stepping to her, even though she's a fucking nut that made up her own rules. <laughs> That's true. And I honestly, I can't get her. past the, the the thing we talked about after the last show that didn't make it into the last show where, I really need her to get out of the bunker so that they can do a song called Miss Venable. She alive. Damn it. It's a, <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, if we get that, we have to have a Titus guest spot. I mean, this is not going to be complete without a, a post-apocalyptic Titus. I have to have that as well. So, and for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, of course, we're talking about the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which is one of my favorite shows when I'm not, uh, knee deep in horror. So let's see. Um, you know, Miriam is catching the mutants gossiping. She's seeing that they're kind of coming out of their cages a bit. They're kind of, you know, becoming more bold and and not afraid to be seen together, which again, I think is pretty crazy considering they still don't know what's going on at all. Even though it's been 18 months, they still have no idea what, the outside world is like, and all they know is Venable's, you know, life that she's made for them inside of Outpost Number Three. The next scene I thought was funny, considering we had the snake thing, which I think the snake, the whole snake thing, is a call to Coven. So when we had season three of American Horror Story Coven, we know that snakes were a big part of the opening credits, and then. They were definitely a staple like throughout the season as well. So I immediately got excited when I saw the snakes. I thought, okay, this is it. They're going to come in like hardcore first few episodes and, and somehow they're going to start incorporating the witches like right away. I don't know if they're meant to be good and I don't know if they're meant to be bad. I don't know if there's going to be a battle that they're going to fight. And um, these are all things obviously that we have unanswered questions about and I have a few theories as I'm sure you do as well as to what might go down in the near future. Mm-hmm. So I mean my big thing I mean my whole thing well no you know what 
you're doing actual analysis about here's based on what's happening in the show, what I want to have happen, everything like that. Right now, I'm just like, where the fuck is Emma Roberts? And I can't, like, I can't get past it. Like, I don't care. Like, I, I, uh, I got nothing. Okay. So basically, I need to stop asking you for your opinions on anything. No, until Emma Roberts graces us with her beauty. And then you'll, you'll start having more. Uh, I, I'll still, don't worry. I got you. I know. Okay. Um, one, Quick note about Coco's look. She's rocking the Medusa braids. I thought that was hilarious. Is that Mr. was legit like a really good hairdo. Uh, yeah. Like, looked, that's the best she's ever looked on any show. Agreed. Agreed. And I loved that it it literally is a Medusa call to back. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's exactly what her her head looked like with the snakes on it. Uh, I am should probably have done that with your hair. I assume it's super easy to do. <laughs> like okay. if you just do that, I can't do it. Cause look what I got going on. There's nothing. You have a shiny skull up there. I don't think it's right. much. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll tell you what, for maybe for a special stream or a special video, I will Patreon. try to, okay. A Patreon special i will try to give you the medusa look i cannot promise anything and i cannot tell you that it will look good that is actually true we do we actually do have uh uh, patreon it's patreon.com slash gallery for all the super official gallery stuff it's this and castle rock historical society and all the movies that we make and that kind of thing and if you have any questions to ask us and you can't make the live show, just hit superficialgallery at gmail.com and we will make sure that we answer you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. That is true. And um, if I do get enough, you know, fanfare and asks for the Medusa hair, I will be obliged to, to provide. (laughs) So (laughs) it'll be interesting and fun and well worth your time. I'm sure. Um, so we get that, I want to say it's an ad hoc, you know, cocktail post dinner type meeting because I guess it's the next day. I, I, I tried to, I rewind, I did a rewind on this a few times because I thought that Coco had the exact same outfit on and she just had a Medusa hair and I was thinking, I wow. I don't think they have that many purple frocks. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah. Because then I started looking at, basically, mainly I looked at Dinah and I was like, oh, she has on very different clothing. So now right. it's the next day, uh, assumedly. So, um, and with that, they do get to meet the elusive and uh, lustrous Michael Langdon. Yeah. So, yeah, he comes in again uh, with those locks flowing and those beautiful blue eyes just blaring. Uh, and those beautiful blue eyes <laughs> circled with red like he needs an emergency eyewash station. <clears throat> okay, well, when you're the Antichrist, you just got to have something red on. I mean, you just get wear black true. every day. That's true, too. I didn't think of that. That's <laughs> yes. a good call. He has to don some red eyeshadow, okay? Yeah, that's, some, that's some fucking science you just did there, Mills. <laughs> um, so some interesting things that he said when he introduced himself and um, he basically let the residents of Outpost 3 know what was going on. I, I found it interesting, the locations of the other outposts, because as we know, 
this outpost, we still don't know where its precise location is at, but we know that this is the only one left standing um, or the only one that has been successful as the others will probably not make it very much longer, which is why he's here in the first place. I think Um, it's in Minnesota. Do you? Yep, because they wear purple, and that's where Prince was from. And the Vikings. I mean, that's the RIP Prince. Okay, yeah. Okay, so it could be in Minnesota. I'd like to know what everyone thought, what everyone's thoughts are on where this, this outpost is located. Yeah, where in the U.S.? Because the the and you probably have it written down the yeah. the spots that they named were like all over the map, like literally all over the map. They were all over the map, and They're they were obscure. exactly. They were not locations that you think off right off the top of your head as being somewhere that you want to house. You know, people. I suppose you know in the in the aftermath of a nuclear war. However, if they are you know, launching missiles at the bigger cities of these states that these outposts are located in, then this would make sense because they'd be far enough away from Syracuse, New York. It's where one was. And that's, I'm so you can correct me on this because I know those are your stomping grounds, but that's far (laughs) enough away. I think from like New York city, right. Or Manhattan or right. Exactly. I can speak for Texas. I would think Austin or Dallas, you know, somewhere like that. And Santa Rosa, I believe. Oh, no, San Angelo, excuse me, is far enough away that, you know, uh, that's where they could run and set up a fallout shelter, I'm I'm assuming. Um, And then Blackley, West Virginia. I'm sorry if there are any West Virginians out there. Please let me know where this may be in, um, you know, I don't know much about West Virginia. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm sorry. I know that but, it has mountain mamas. <clears throat> that's true. It does. It does. And it has the whites, which we all love that family. Um, but and I also think that that's where the new Fallout game is set. So that's oh, three really? West Virginia things. I like it. Okay. Mm-hmm. My homework after this podcast is to learn more about West Virginia and to learn more <laughs> about exactly where Blackley is at. You're going to need to do a book report on that shit. (laughs) I I have to give myself um, homework. Otherwise, I waste my time, and that's just never good. All right. So, and then we learned that the rest of these outposts were international um, outposts, which they don't go into detail about where they were at. I mean, I'm thinking of six major places internationally that they could probably be at, and I don't know if that's going to come up and be of any relevance at any point during the show. But it is interesting to know that they had six in uh, international status, and then this would make, what, four in the United States? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so my math is good tonight. I'm proud of myself. Um, So one thing I found interesting was that immediately everyone in Outpost 3 thinks that uh, Langdon is there to talk about what – they're going to need what if they're taken to the sanctuary, which would be repopulating the earth. And I, I found that to be odd because this was never really, I mean, I guess that would be your first thought. Well, if I'm the only last people left on earth, then we need to repopulate. But none, nothing about outpost number three gives me the vibes that they want any kind of procreation going on, especially with their copulation rule. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Uh, I don't know if that would be the first thing that came to my mind, but of course no. that that's what's on top of everyone's mind. And I think that's what they're going to try to have their end game being, you know, to try to convince Langdon that they are able to repopulate this world. If that's what, what is necessary. So. Well, I don't know the whole sex thing and, and we're going to get into it, but the, the motivations behind Miss Venable and whatever she's <laughs> trying to do with the sex pot doesn't make any sense because if you're gay, that's the one time, oh, yeah, no, no authorized, you know, sex because we don't want you having babies on accident. Well, exactly. hey, that doesn't now work being that gay way. is a super bonus. Exactly. That's, yeah, I mean, as in reality, it plays in your favor because you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about making babies out of that. So uh, they shouldn't have those restrictions, I wouldn't think. What I found funny also was when he started to talk and tell them, you know, what was going on. Uh, oh, I did call this the town hall. I thought that was funny. So he's he's called the town hall. They meet him. Venable, yeah, right? Uh, Outpost town hall. Uh, <laughs> Miss Venable, she tries the happy face. But Langdon challenges to a staring contest, which she loses immediately along yeah. the happy face. Yeah, uh, so he sees she ate right some through shit her. On that one. She like, sure she, did. Like, move over. There. Yeah, like get out of here. We don't want to know about. We don't want to deal with you right now. So he's basically, you know, breaking down the four one one. Miriam kind of jumps in here, and she demands to know what these security measures are that they're taking, you know, for the sanctuary. And uh, she wants to know, uh, you know, why weren't they told of them and, and things like this, which further kind of fuels my thoughts that they did know each other pre-nuclear attack or pre-missile attack. So mm-hmm. um, Langdon pretty much shuts that shit down Negan style. Uh, he throws his hand up and he's, that's classified, which I thought is hilarious. You know, yeah. that's classified. You don't need to know that. That's That happens a lot in the gallery meetings when you guys are like, why do we have to do this? Why? And then I'm just like classified. <laughs> All right. So I, now I know what your end game is. Mm-hmm. So Andre wants to know, you know, who's populating the sanctuary, which, you know, again, I don't know why that's at the top of everyone's. Uh, mind, especially Andre, who isn't into that lifestyle. You know, his sexual orientation is not straight. So, um, again, he is told that's classified. I made a note that said, we've got to call him Mueller. We've got a new case for him. So, hopefully he survived the, the blast, because if anybody can investigate and find out, I think it would be him. So, um, <laughs> of course, Comically enough, the questioning technique is, technique is called cooperating, which Venable gives a slight, I put look of disgust, but I almost think it was a look of how stupid or how corny can you be yeah. to call that cooperating. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think that that, you know, I could see that happening in a meeting. You know what of I mean? Course. Like, hey, no, we're going to call it this. And everyone being like, that's good job, Trevor. That that ties right in with what we're trying to do here. 
Yes, coming from the consulting world, I will let you know that any buzzwords and things like that, that really gets the crowd excited. I'm from the cooperative, and we're going to do a line of questioning called cooperating. Now, who's with me? Yeah. That's when you're supposed to get the scattered applause and woohoos, you know. But, of course, everyone's too scared to do that. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, by the way, in the chat... Jackie Torrance said that Beckley is in southern West Virginia, which doesn't help me at all because I don't know. The only thing I do in West Virginia is when I drive from Charlotte to New York, I drive through West Virginia for like 10 minutes. What what is the proximity, if you may know? Again, I'm terrible with a map. I think I proved that to you all last week um, (laughs) when I didn't know that Santa Monica is not very far from L.A. (laughs) What's the proximity I'm wondering to DC on that? Oh, uh, far away. I don't know. Is Someone in the chat, map it up because I got a, <laughs> I got a, I got a lot of shit to pay attention to here. <laughs> map it up. I didn't me. realize there was going to be a bunch of geography questions. I'm sorry. Someone in the chat, you, I will give you a gold star if you let me know the proximity to DC on that. Okay. Take your time. We've got a while. So of course, uh, Mr. Gallant, he is the first to volunteer as this is no surprise to me. Um, Langdon is a beautiful man and I'm sure that Mr. Gallant was eager and willing and ready to be the first one to, to get interrogated by by Mr. Langdon. So, um, so it cuts to them and their questioning. And of course, you know, he wants to know about Mr. Gallant and he wants to know about his anger, which as we learn when he questions another, well, Miss Venable, um, about some of her, you know, thoughts and things going on in her mind. I think it's interesting what he's trying to pull out of everyone in outpost number three. Um, And I think obviously the other residents will be getting this, you know, as the episodes continue, Um, you know, sexual orientation. He's gay. However, he has had, uh, he's not a gold star. He has been with a female and uh, he doesn't know female mechanics. He's not sure if it was pleasurable for her, but he can, well, that also could just be because he's a guy. Well, in general. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so he's confident. Again, I don't understand why they keep, you know, driving this in the ground. He's capable, capable of, of repopulating if necessary. Um, of course, Langdon, you know, cuts him off with a snap of a finger. And he tells him they have methods of harvesting you know, genetic materials and, and they can repopulate whenever they're ready. That's not what he's interested in knowing about each of these people in this outpost. Um, so he wants to know his anger. He draws out. And I think at times in the first episode, I kind of could see where Mr. Gallant was frustrated with his Nana, but I didn't know that there would be full-blown rage or hate towards her, especially because he he saved her. I mean, he could have... Yeah, why? If he hated her so much, why? Exactly. I mean, he could have gone to that private jet and he could have gotten the hell out of there and he could have let her incinerate with everyone else, you know? I mean, it it makes me wonder, especially... <clears throat> as we'll learn very soon when he goes into his story on why he hates his Nana, it, the, there's no money in it for him. 
I mean, she's donated all of her money to a cat charity already in her will. So he's not getting anything from her, Um, which I find to be hilarious. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because this whole is it all bullshit thing. If there's not if they're just saying, hey, we're just going to put these people in this fucking house and, and fuck with them. You know what I mean? For whatever reasons we have, which also wouldn't make any sense because it wasn't the people that they intended it for it, you you know, intended for it to be. Exactly. You know what I mean? So that's one of those things that if they do that reveal later on, you're going to be like, well, what the fuck did you take the hairdresser for? And not for nothing. Why is he a purple and the personal assistant has to be a gray? None of that makes any goddamn sense either. I agree a hundred percent. That, that was definitely something that was in my, you know, mind because once you start really looking into this and you start, processing the information that you get as the episode goes on that yeah you you start to think well coco's family obviously paid for these four spots on this private jet mm-hmm. but you know so did they have a tie to the cooperative in any kind of way you know was there some kind of pre-existing or you know relationship that was already there that they knew about i mean there had to be because they've secured these spots to living through an apocalypse right right mm-hmm and when mom and dad and brother get wiped out, well, then these three ragtags come along that really, how do you put them in social classes? I mean, Mallory, yeah, she's Especially if you only have two. Exactly. I mean, Mallory, she's her personal assistant. I suppose that's how they doled her out to the greys. But Mr. Venable and Mr. Venable. <laughs> <laughs> I have this in my, now I have that song on repeat in my mind. Damn you. Um, Mr. Gallant and his grandmother, I mean, she obviously didn't know about this and didn't secure any spots in the apocalypse. She didn't even know what the fuck it was. Exactly. So why do they immediately get to be purples and be part of the elite? Is it just because they took those tickets? I have a lot of questions. Listen, I've got a, a running dock here of questions and and potential theories. So we can definitely uh, gnaw on that later because there's a lot there to gnaw on. So um, let's see. I, I do like this. Suddenly, Mr. Gallant isn't so gallant because, I mean, obviously, if you know the definition of that word, he's not being <laughs> very gallant. See what I did there. So anyway, um, he recalls the suburban gay dinner parties that his grandmother used to throw with people he called dipshits, which uh, he described them as, you know, guys that thought they would be able to hook him and hook her money. That's where we find out that she's donated all of her you know, financial, you know, money and all of that to this cat charity, which I, I didn't I even can know feel she, that. Yeah. I didn't even know that she was an animal lover. So Mr. Gallant, bless his heart. He kind of tries to come on to, well, no, he doesn't kind of try to, he comes on to Michael. Uh, Cause I think he's thinking that, all right, if, it's not going in this other direction. Maybe he wants something different from me or I can convince him to give me a spot in the sanctuary through, you know, um, sexual favors or advancements or whatever. And, uh, just like that, the interview is over. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Michael is not interested in that. No, he shut that shit right down. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think, do you think that um, his questions 
had anything to do with anything or is he just piping shit? No, I think, well, given who we already know that, given that we already know who Michael Langdon is, obviously, but these people in Outpost 3 don't. I mean, we know that he is the spawn of, you know, spirit and human, and that is what causes the end of time, right? The end of days. Mm -hmm. Um, I really brushed up on my murder house and I binged it. And so I've got a lot of fresh, you know, murder house stuff in my mind here, but that is something that uh, Billy did say to Constance when she told her that Tate had impregnated Vivian. So we know already what he is and, and probably what he's here to do, quote unquote, you know, on the surface. The, these people have no idea. So I think he knows more than they think he does, especially since he mentioned it to him about maybe I have a file on you. Maybe I know everything about you. Maybe I don't know anything and I'm bullshitting you, you know, and I'm, yeah. and I'm just getting you to tell me what this is. What makes me not believe that part, though, is that he knew to focus in on his ang- on his anger or his rage. Right. You know, it's like that was obviously the, the center of what's going on in in his mind or in his life or what fuels him to an extent, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I know I'm made of like 95% rage. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm made of like butterflies and rainbows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Only if they're getting eaten by, you know, a dragon or something. So anyway, um, you know, the interview is over. And and then for some reason, back to the mutants, I've, I've got a lot of questions on Emily and who she is and what she, maybe she's different than everybody else. I. You mean different? In why she was chosen? Yes. I thought she was just a good genetic sample. Well, I did too. But, you know, I rewatched episode one and they never really did confirm that she was in that bunker with Timothy because of any kind of, you know, genetic makeup or super DNA or whatever. Okay. Uh, And the reason I say this is because she's kind of the one that started to be ballsy if that makes sense. She's the one that's wanting to know who's in Venable's office. She's the one that's telling Timothy, Hey, what's going on with this guy? We can totally snoop in his room. No big deal. (laughs) It's like, what gives you the the thought process? I think that that's okay. And, and what's he going to do to us? Well, he could do a lot to you based on what you should only know about what's going on in outpost number three. So I, I got suspicions of her and I got these kind of weird vibes off of her this episode. So I'm interested to know what her real purpose is there. Hmm. Um, and of course they do uh, break into the, the laptop, the, the laptop that has Wi-Fi and has a full battery. Oh yeah. I didn't even think of that part. I didn't even think of, yeah, holy shit. I was too busy thinking about the older of email to wonder how they fucking got the email and how the thing was charged up. Yeah, so he's got a charged 
you know, Mac, and he's getting emails. And he even said to Venable information as recent as, you know, yesterday or the day before. Yeah. So that means somebody else. Yeah. Well, that means somebody else has it. So we'll get into that, though, because this this my favorite. Well, gosh, I shouldn't say favorite, but it is the, the chilling part. It's one of my top uh, five moments of the episode is uh, we did get the rubber band man. That's what I call him. You could call him oh. rubber, rubber suit guy. You call him rubber band man? Yeah. For some reason, when I saw him, immediately I got that Spinner's song in my head, you know, prepare yourself for the rubber band. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> now I can't not think that. God damn it. All right, you're all welcome for that. But this payback for Miss Venable, I guess. Then. Yeah, there you go. Take that and keep that in your mind for the rest of the episode. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, prepare yourself for the rubber band, man. Of course, burning question. Is it Tate? And uh, and I I racked, and this is why I watched the episode so many times and why I actually decided to go back and binge Murder House. I can't put my mind thought or I can't wrap my mind around <laughs> what are you laughing at? Mind thought. You know, it's the same thing. Uh, thought process. <laughs> I, you know, this thing that's up here that does a lot of thinking, I can't wrap it around how that could be taped. And and I guess this is where I start wondering where this outpost is. Okay? Because who else would be the rubber band man? I mean, but you said that the ghost couldn't leave Murder House. It's when what, we talked exactly, about this in chat. Exactly. The ghost cannot leave Murder House. Even after binging it and rewatching it, there were when I don't know if you recall, there was this one like real skeezy guy that wanted to come in, just basically make apartment complexes out of you know the um, murder house, and then they kind of took care of him. <laughs> he became part of. No, I don't think he expired on the premises, but they took care of him to say the least. Um, they can't leave the house. Even if the house gets demolished, unless someone uncovers the bones. They're stuck on the property. They're stuck. Yes. But if somebody moved the bones, then they could be wherever they wanted. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So you're going with me on this thought process because I saw some pics of upcoming, maybe like sneak pictures. The ghosts can't leave unless someone digs up the bones and that will, is what will release them from the house. Okay, so now that sneak picture preview thing that I came across on the internet while I was obsessing over, you know, what what's going to happen this season. Right. There is, and it does feature your scrawny goddess. <laughs> it is a shot of her at Murder House under what would have been the gazebo. It looks like it is... It pre uh, apocalypse, okay, because things aren't looking like the winter nuclear winter that we know of now, right? Uh, and she has a boatload, a mess load of bones that she has uncovered. Um, mm. Yeah, so if I find that photo, I will share it with everyone when I do the recap because it's interesting to think about how long has this been 
known and who all's known about it and what's what's been the backstory towards what we're working at and what we're seeing right now, right? Yeah. Um I mean if if I were going to figure out a way how to harness the power of ghosts, I would definitely want those because like most ghosts are just like, "Oh, it's this lady that died in a fucking factory and now she just once in a while you can see her looking out the window sadly." Like, right. that's not a ghost you want on your team. No. This ghost, on the other hand, will punch you in the nuts and then kill you. Mm-hmm. That's the ghost I want. We need the hard hitters from Murder House. Yeah. Okay? I don't want to see the Black Dahlia. I don't want to see the... No. What's she going to do? She can't run after <laughs> you. No. And I definitely don't want to see the male version of the Dahlia they made, which I'm going to do a sidebar here. If you watch The Young and the Restless, which is my favorite soap opera, you would recognize that actor as the beloved uh, Danny, which is Phyllis's son on The Young and the Restless. Okay, I digress. I will get back on track here. Um, so, you know, we don't need them. I I don't want to see Hayden. I don't, you know, I mean, like, there, there are people I don't want to see. I Lily Rabe is coming back, but she is not reprising the Montgomery role. She's coming back as Misty Day. So she's coming back on the coven side. Yeah, she, uh, she could bring people back from the dead, right? Yeah, yes, she can. She bought your scrawny goddess. No, wait, that was that was Cordelia. But she, she can come back from the dead, and she can bring people from the dead because I, it didn't work for her. It didn't work for her when your scrawny goddess, as you like to call her, uh, tried to off her in the cemetery. So, anyways, that's that's the whole another conversation. We won't get into what all happened during Coven today. Um, and I, I do have something that I want to know if anyone else had this middle picture, but I had a huge middle picture of two Evan Peters going at it. <laughs> Which I think some people might like the idea of so uh again this rubber band man that we're seeing now in this outpost is he he seems a lot more aggressive than tate was now tate was aggressive in the suit and it was for a reason um obviously he wanted to have that baby in the house and he wanted to please miss montgomery but it, it wasn't like he was by design as soon as he put on the suit aggressive. It was like, okay, I have to put on the suit and I have a suit and I have to be aggressive because this is my end goal. Right. 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 This, this person that even if it is Tate or what's going on, this is, a, this is a, an aggressive person. And I know that everyone's first thought was it's Michael Langdon, right? Yeah, like, yeah. He's rolled into the room. He, he picked up on those advancements and he thought, okay, maybe I'll do it. You know, cause he, he is seen coming out of his office. That's when the mutants go in there and they figure out that the Wi-Fi still exists in this world that's supposed to be gone. Um, but we realize it's not, you know. Um, right. And uh, Nana Evie, of course, catches her sweet grandson <laughs> that she also apparently hates as well. It's mutual. Uh, it's a mutual um feeling between the two of them apparently and she runs right to Miriam and she tells on him and I I think it's in the hopes of him you know being murdered and that being one less person that she has to worry about taking a spot at the sanctuary with right yeah Uh, because Nana Evie is in it for Nana Evie and no one else (laughs) so um, Miriam 
she seems a bit put off by it, but I didn't, I didn't get any rage from her. Like what, you know, we thought the sins of um, unauthorized copulation would bring you. Right. Like right. it seemed like anybody was going to kill him. Um, now they did rigorously, uh, you know, question him, but apparently he likes to <laughs> be whipped <laughs> and with every lash he was screaming out one of our iconic um, gay actors and men of the seventies and eighties, which I thought was hilarious. So especially Rip Taylor. (laughs) 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 I I don't know why I just thought that was humorous. Um, So yeah, rubber man, you know, man raises questions for me. Yeah. Yeah. Langdon leaves the Teenage Mutants enter. Oh, okay. So here's when we go back to that. And they pull up an email and they read it and there's a mole in the hole. You know, I mean, there's someone that's in that outpost that is telling Michael Langdon what Venable is doing. Now, immediately my first thought was Miriam. You know, we already know there's an established relationship between them, right? Mm-hmm. Or that's what we're assuming. Um, and they, this mole is telling him everything that Venable is doing and how this outpost is being run. So it's almost like when he's questioning her, obviously he already knows and he knows that she's bullshitting him when she's lying, you know, and giving her lame excuses. You think though, you think it would, you think that Miriam would rat out Venable? No, I don't think it's Miriam at all. Oh. (laughs) Well then who else, there's no one else that actually works there that they ever show. The well, snake cooker. The snake cooker. Uh, yeah, the uh, cooperative agent that shall not be named. She has no name. No, I don't think it's her either, but I think it's one of our players. Oh, all right. Yeah. I'll buy that. I, I Honestly, I mean, for all we know, there's cameras and shit in the place. That is true, too. You know? Yep. That's true. And it just, the way the email was worded, though, it was almost like, Unless he has a personal secretary that's, you know, watching these cameras and then typing up notes and sending them to him. Just for some reason in my mind, I'm thinking that it's somebody that's in the outpost. Um, I don't think that it's, I don't think it's Miriam. Um, I think that she's a red herring as far as like, we want to believe it's her because we think there might've been an established relationship there. But I, I think that her relationship with Venable supersedes that. So, but we'll we'll see how that uh, how that comes about. So, you think actually? I'm going to jump back for a minute, mm-hmm. even though I'm not, I'm the one that's supposed to make the show go faster. But here I am making it go slower. <laughs> Do you think it's significant? Uh, Venable's rickety back. Yeah, for sure. Like well, it's going to play into anything. Well, we already know what it plays into about who she is as a person, because when Michael pays her a visit and the first thing that he does when, and I didn't even realize this would be an interrogation on her, which I think it was an impromptu and it wasn't like his plans of the real, integ- in the real, you know, cooperation technique, you know, that he did right. with Mr. Gallant. I think that he went to her and and the conversation started off as tell me about these people here. Tell you know, tell me what you know. She starts to name off, you know, of course, all the bad traits and everyone, et cetera. Right. 
But he does the same thing that he does with Mr. Gallant. And he says, what is the shame? You are, you're shameful. What is it that, that is carrying this shame for you? Right. And then that's when he unzips her dress and we see that she's got, I'm assuming scoliosis or some form of it. It's going to be, I think my medical term was rickety back, but yeah, it's probably something a little more specific. Well, my, I'm going to be honest about what my first thought was. And then I told myself, no, you can't think that it's obviously scoliosis. I thought it was scurvy, but (laughs) she does look like a pirate, but that's a malnourished people. I mean, that's what scurvy is, right? Pirates would get, and and people at sea would get scurvy because they're malnourished. Right, right, right. That's true. Anyways, this is my mind. Like I tell you, like I, I, I pull it all into these big ideas. So anyway, hey, I'm, I'm a fan of your mind <laughs> thoughts. My mind thoughts. These are what mind they are. Thoughts. Um, I imagined scoliosis though, which would explain why she walks with the cane. At first I thought the cane was a, some type of um, power play or device, you know, like, Hey, I'm intimidating with a cane type right. thing. And I beat it on the ground. And everybody knows what to do and by how many knocks I give it. But um, I saw a little bit more of a vulnerable side of her, which kind of, you know, I still think that she's a black hole of a person, but I, I'm starting to kind of see what maybe brought her to what her behavior is. I mean, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was agreeing with you. But I also yeah. don't want to lose because the chat's kind of going a little faster now, and I don't want to lose, like, the thing about – Damiao, who came storming in late. Hey, girl. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you. The uh, She said that she thinks that the witches already know what's going on in that outpost, and it was them who sent the snakes. Agree. 100%, Dame. Oh. I, I, I told you that in the beginning, Acadia. Did you listen to me? I thought I was. I, I think the snakes, because they are a trademark of the coven, came from the coven. And, oh. and and while we're on that, we can go ahead and jump ahead a little bit and talk about the other reason I think that the coven already knows what's going on and that they're already into it was, I mean, what song did we get at the end of the episode? Time in a bottle. No, we didn't. That wasn't at the end? That was at the end, but then we got in the, the record changed and it was, what did it change to? Fleetwood Mac. Oh, yeah, that's right. Stevie Nicks, which we know she was in Coven. She was like, you know, one of the main witches. So, What is this, Gold Dust Woman? Jack? It, was, yeah, it yeah. was Gold Dust Woman, yes. So uh, that's what the episode closed out on was that song. So that's why I got super excited. Um, I want to respect Fleetwood Mac, considering they wrote all those really good songs while they were all drugged up to the fucking moon and all banging and breaking up with each other every two seconds. Like that's a stressful situation. No, that's the core of a good group. Okay. That's that's how you get good music. Fine. That's why Fleetwood Mac is forever. Like they're immortal. You know, their music is going to always be the best music, you know, no matter what generation is immortal. Cause she's 75% cocaine. (laughs) 
let's get back on track. Very anyway, um, you know, so um, Langdon frees Gallant after they, you know, give him his questioning and they're they're convinced that they don't know. Well, she thinks they know each other. She tells Miriam later, Venable, she thinks that they know each other and that they are in on it together, which I don't, we all know that I do not believe that at all. Right. <laughs> I don't think Mr. Gallant knows that he's got more than one brain cell in his head at a time. So he comes on to him again. And I'm like, dude, the guy is not interested in you. When the, and he then pretty much breaks it down for him that he's not interested in him. And if he were, uh, you know, interested in copulation or anything like that, he would be the last guy that he would ever, you know, consider it, even if he's the last guy on earth. So Nana, let's see, Landon writes out Nana and manages to continue destroying Gallant in the process. So he basically tells Gallant all of the things that, you know, his Nana thinks of him. It's really, really brings out his insecurities, right? And kind of feeds that rage that we saw earlier in the episode. Uh, then we did get Time in a Bottle, and I do love that song. And I won't go off on my tangent about that song. It's a good song. Well, not a, not a bad tangent, but a tangent on that song in Evan Peters. Oh, you can. Okay, because I didn't even have to wait and read this the next morning because I'm a huge X-Men um, fan. And so immediately, we all know that Evan Peters, or if you don't know, now you do, he plays Quicksilver in the X-Men uh, franchise right now. And he had the very infamous scene of him, uh, you know, making his time manipulation to the song uh, Time in a Bottle. So... That was a nice little nod for me, too. I wrote, God, I love this song. Huh. <laughs> uh, then Nana goes in on Gallant when he wants to know why he doesn't like her. Um, she tells him all of the stints in rehab, the jail uh, stints. Granddaddy didn't like him. The bankrupted salons and the apparent cocaine issue. The teenage mutants are ready to mutate, which I, I keep saying they're ready to copulate. <laughs> but not without a visit from the rubber band man, which honestly, that did creep me out. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. He's totally like Spider-Man. He, yeah, because he's, we didn't even mention this, but he was also on the ceiling when they were in there, um, stupid on the MacBook. So there's a mole in the hole. There's a man on the ceiling. Uh, which is the rubber band man. So, uh, but it's almost like he was um, images in his, it, like, like how you would see a murder house sometimes because they're ghosts. They would be right. like one minute they're there, the next minute they're not, and then they're there again. Like that's kind of the feeling I got with the way that the scene was shot, you know, with the rubber man, rubber band man this time. Like, was he really there? I don't know. Like, did they, see him and then he was gone, you know, was he actually there kind of like creeping in and being all like weird to watch them, uh, you know, try to, try to do their thing. Who knows? And if you're a ghost, why do you have to hang on to stuff? Like why couldn't he just been floating up there? I know. Yeah. And that, that raised my next question was how many rubber band man, how many of these rubber band men are there? <laughs> just outposts? <laughs> I don't know. There could be more than one. You never know. Um, Cause he seems to be in every room. Oh and- yeah. But that's why I do that all the time when I can't with, <laughs> with my many appearances that I have to make across the country, 
I often have to have somebody else wear the mask and, and you know. Your cape stress has to make a new cape for them, too. Yep, that's right. That's why I always look so like I'm different heights, depending on what show I'm at. Ah, I love it. Um, so, yeah, you know, and I said Stevie Nicks in the building and the Coven sense, that is. So those were the two big references or callbacks to Coven that I had from the episode. The snakes and then we we got Gold Dust Woman. Mm-hmm. Which we all know is, you know, Stephen X, and she was in Coven. Um, and the murder house stuff that we got was obviously the rubber band man, but we don't know who he is. We don't know if it is Tate Langdon or if it is someone else, um, which I have to think would be very odd for like his son, and he's like doing the dirty with his son in the room, you know, they were all messed up. So whatever. It's just kind of creeps me out a little bit. So, um, but, uh, you know, here comes the copulation punishment, Miriam, don't put up with no shit. And then we have, Oh, Nana, Evie, RIP. (laughs) We knew the budget didn't call for a whole season of Joan Collins anyway. So, um, t- oh, Tate, excuse me. Mr. Gallant does end up murdering his grandmother, although he, in his mind, in his vision, he thinks it's the rubber band man for some reason. Yeah. So, um, and then uh, we come to the mutants being thrown into, I thought the shower, you know, the place where they did the, the shower scene last week. And uh, they're going to obviously get their punishment. And Timothy wrangles away the gun and shoots Miriam. And then the agent who shall not be named then does, I call it a tomahawk choke. I'm not really sure what she did to him, but um, she obviously knocked him out, which made me wonder, is he dead? I mean, like, did she snap his neck? I'm not sure, you know. She was in Freak Show. That. She was. She was yeah. the incredible, like the the tall lady. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously, yeah. She was the the really tall lady. So, um, Miriam is shot, and she's not human. She's a host. She is a host. She is. Is she contaminated? She's gross. I know that, and she's oozing. Uh, I, I was not expecting that. That was a huge, obviously, and it, it's meant to be a revelation for this this season. Um, she acts like she's a normal person. And I know that you're referring to Westworld when you say a host. Yeah. Um, so some people may not realize that, Acadia. Okay. Um, but I yeah, think she- everybody does. <laughs> Uh, so it it was gross though. I I had I paused it and I actually watched, you know, like or I actually took a look at what was going on there, and it was like almost like she looked like what the horses did. Because if you remember when she went out there and took care of Langdon's horses, like some of their you know like insides were showing on on parts of their bodies and stuff like that too. So true. What is she? I don't know, but it explains how she was able to drag the horses like that because she's True. robot strong. Well, we did get the feeling that she was superhuman last week. That's for sure because, yeah. you know, she threw two horses in the underbrush like nobody's business. And mm-hmm. now it's pretty much confirmed that she is not. She is straight up robot. 
humans. But uh, what? She's not a robot, though. I don't know. If you have milk for blood, that makes you a robot. Oh, God. Yeah, I did make a note that I would never look at milk the same again. That was just disgusting for me. But I don't know what she is. I don't know. Well, we're going to find out. She could She could either, A, be a robot, which I don't know why. But then again, if you can make a plane that can take off and land without a pilot, then probably making a person robot's not a terrible leap. You know, this if you're is- going to invent extraordinary technology in this in this version of the world the other possibility is she's not really a robot but she is an animated something something because of the witches you know like a like a golem yeah that is true and and that's where i'm wondering is is she a part of the witches or is she a part of the Langdon movement. I don't if, know if she's a if she's a golem, which right. is just it's a it's a uh, the the golem is a being that can get brought to life. It's kind of like a Frankenstein, but not really. You can make it out of anything, but she'd be a sophisticated one. But you need to be able to do magic to make one. Right. If she was a golem, then she would be a perfect spy for the witches. And then there's no conflict between her ratting out uh, Venable and being friends with Venable because she was a long-term spy. But then again, she also said she had a backstory, so maybe she's been a golem for, like, years and years and years. And I don't even want to get into that whole nonsense that I got dragged on with Castle Rock with with Hannah Selector. And by the way, if you want to watch... the show Castle Rock on Hulu, you can listen to the Castle Rock Historical Society episode by episode where we bring you through it. But and, uh, and I will do a plug here. That is an amazing podcast. Yay. Yeah. Thanks. So I'm going to go with, and this is, I'm just saying this now, I am going to go with people aren't just, making up a bunch of lies and we don't know who to believe and blah, 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 because American Horror Story is not that fucking subtle. Exactly. Exactly. This isn't Castle Rock in the way of we have to somehow figure out the, the, the story itself. As in like, we, we know what we've been given and we know what to expect with it. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, we know there are supernatural elements and we know that all, we know the rules that go along with the American horror story game, you know? So it's different than castle rock. It, it, I don't think it's as theory laden. However, with this being a crossover between two seasons, I can't help but wonder if it's going to lean that way. I don't know. This, this is just me rambling about, (laughs) You know, I want to make a theory out of everything because that's how my mind is, is programmed. Don't, you don't have to ex- like shoot a mind thought at this one. <laughs> the fact is, is that I'm just saying the fact that she said that she was, you know, did this in the military and everything like that. I'm not going to, I'm just going to say, yes, Miriam did all that shit, whether she was a golem when she did it or she was alive when she did it and then got reanimated as a golem I, and, and her blood replaced with milk. I don't know. I don't care. We'll just find out 
but I think now it's likely that maybe she was the traitor because she wasn't a real person. Mm, you're right. I, I guess, gosh, I, I, I want to believe they wouldn't hand us something like that on a golden platter like that. I, I mean, like it's episode two, right? And I would hope that they wouldn't already off the bat be like, well, I'm fixing to reveal to everyone that there's a mole in outpost three. Well, yeah, but they didn't, that's just, that's just me like trying to okay, spin I see it forward. Saying. You know what I mean? I didn't, no, they okay. didn't do anything overt to think that I'm just thinking, you know, we know that somebody ratted them out. We know there has to be a way that they knew that was going on. Right. We know that Miriam was legit friends with Venable. Yeah. You're right about that. Yeah, yeah, you know what sure. I mean? That's that's all. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. Um, so, and that would be also something that fit into what we did see slightly in Coven with Evan Peters' character. Right. It, they did that with him. Yep. You know, that's they brought, true. but he was less functioning. And I don't know if that just was brain capacity or if they've been able to um, get more sophisticated with, <laughs> with what they are able to do with them once they bring them back. Cause he was pretty like brain dead. Right. He didn't have a lot going yeah, no, on. There wasn't a lot going in there. Yeah. So bless his heart, but he didn't have, but he didn't have special milk blood. No, he didn't. So maybe that was the missing piece. Oh, yeah. by the way, the, uh, I meant to, I missed something else in the chat. It was way farther up, but it was when we were talking about the ghosts and how they get away from the murder house and everything like that. And Damiao pointed out that the only exception to that rule is Halloween. Everybody can go anywhere they want. Okay. Yes, exactly. The only day of the year, obviously they can go leave the murder house is on Halloween. Right. So that lends to, thank you, that's a very good point, because that would lend to the question of what's the date, I guess you could say. You know? Um, yep. So what what date are we looking at right now? I mean, it's not, it can't say Halloween day forever, you know, but... No, that's true. And what has happened pre-apocalypse by the coven that could have, you know, put in play these... The, the powerhouses from murder house being able to come, you know? Oh. Yeah, that's true. Cause there's two ways. Now they could all come on, on Halloween or if, if Madison dug up all the bones and yeah. had them in a bag, mm-hmm. that's pretty dope. I did want to say something about when, cause I did come in after I was having a um, computer issue. Sorry again, um, about you saying Queenie, um, the human voodoo doll, which I'm excited to see her. And she, her character did come back in hotel and she was murdered. Well, what we, we think she was right. Because after I think his, he was JP March, um, Evan Peters character, which was basically HH Holmes, but, um, he stabbed her and she, you know, the last shot we saw was her on the bed bleeding out, but did she die? Because in the whole point of being the human voodoo doll, I thought was that you couldn't feel pain and you didn't bleed. Because if you think back to Coven when she was messing with Madison at the dinner table and she was stabbing her hands and everything, she wasn't bleeding. And then after, you know, they kind of came into their harmonious existence, but 
Cordelia's ex-husband came in and shot up, you know, the salon and everything. And Queenie shot herself. Uh, spoilers. I'm sorry for anyone who has to watch this. No! Uh, but she put the gun in her mouth and she pulled the trigger, but it actually killed, you know, Cordelia's husband, her right. ex-husband. So, um, those were questions I had, though, from the hotel season, because I was a little confused as to why they would bring the Queenie. We know it was the Queenie into that mix. And we see all of this, but she's she's not trapped by the hotel. We don't ever see her again. Right. Because the hotel is almost kind of like the murder house, right? Like you, you get trapped in the hotel and you can't leave. Yeah. I like to think that, like we mentioned last week, that. The uh, all of L.A. is just a like a complete smoking, flattened nuclear pancake, except for the Cortez and the murder house. True. That would be neat. Those would be two places, obviously, that could withstand that. I mean, the the witches could enchant their um, home and it could not be affected by a nuclear missile. Yep. And the Cortez is <laughs> indestructible. I mean, you know, so, th- and that's why originally I thought, is this outpost built on murder house? But, uh, I don't think it, it, it is. And I don't think it can be because it wouldn't have taken two weeks to get these teenage mutants over to a place in LA. Because no, it also would have been they trick them by taking off and then just doing a big circle and landing again. Uh, and that was another thing. I was like, and then with the whole, you know, plane thing, I mean, I know that they're a pretty inept bunch on there, but I would think that at least Mallory would have been able to see if they just did a big circle or like, you know, flew around the sky until they were able to land somewhere, which I am curious about. I made a note of that too. Um, I'm curious to know in that two weeks before they bought the mutants to the outpost, what was going on? Yeah. The complex staging area. Yeah. 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 Now the fallout shelter, you know, they, Venable said it was obviously it's ornate and it was a reformed all boys school. And we had the questions last week, what kind of, you know, all boys school would be underground or have any part underground. And I'm wondering if it's where Michael was schooled. Um, well, that's interesting. Um, because the thing about Michael is this, he, when murder house ended and they showed him with Constance, Three years later, and he had right. murdered his nanny. Right. You looked at that child. It was like a six- or seven-year-old child. Yes. So, well, part of that's just TV stuff, but I also think part of it is he's accelerated. No, he's definitely accelerated because she did – I don't think Vivian went full term with those kids. No. Like, I think she had no, this – true. Yeah, like, the babies were growing because – in rewatching this, obviously, you know, a lot of these things have popped back up in my mind. But when she went in for that ultrasound and it was the whole back and forth about how far along are you really? Because these are really big babies, you right, know. Right, and, right. Um, so we know that he ages very quicker than others. I do have a couple of things, though, that I think were really cool when I was researching things about Michael and researching things about... Uh, revelations, which would be the apocalypse or the end of the world, right? Mm-hmm. 
and um, the whole thing about him being the Antichrist and what is supposed to actually happen in biblical terms right. after um, after a nuclear attack or something like this. Now, the definition from the ancient Greek um, is it myth? Anyways, the from the ancient Greek, they define apocalypse as a meaning of um, uncovering. So it is a disclosure of knowledge or revelation. To me, that doesn't really scream um, the end of something. It, it's almost no. like, obviously, the book is called Revelations. It is about the apocalypse or the end of the world. and But it's a revelation into a new society or what happens after that instead of what we kind of are trained to think of where it's the, this is, it's the ending of everything. Right. Right. So what made me think of that was when Miss Venable said they're, they're actually at the beginning and not the end when she, she brought the mutants in, you know, when they were like, Oh, you bought us for the end. And she was like, no, it's the beginning. Well, it would be the beginning of the new world. Right. Yes. You know? So yeah, that, that is true. And then, um, uh, Damiao said, "Oh, that reverb is back. Oh no, it went away again. So weird. Um, it's like one of those floaters in my eye. As soon as I try to look at it, it's gone. All right. So Damiao said, just a thought. If Michael is the Antichrist, does that change the basic uh, rules? Is there something about the dead rising? Um, she needs a Catholic. Well, here I am, <laughs> and I can tell you that." The, the Catholic interpretation, actually, here's a little, here's a little two second religious breakdown of things. Yes, I love All this, this. Yes. Everything about what anybody considers the Bible is based on a set of material that was gathered over centuries. And then everybody got together and they decided what was going to be in their Bible and what wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so the, the Jews were like, yeah, we're going to stop at, you know, everything before Jesus came around, because while we think Jesus was a cool guy, we don't think he was the Messiah that the prophet prophet. told us, you know, we're going to get. So they're still waiting. So it's, it's, and, and so I always talk about that with, with Mrs. Act because she's Jewish. So she's either one Messiah behind or I'm one ahead. So (laughs) we kind of have all our bases covered that way. Now the, but as far as the Catholics and the Protestants go, they had sort of a harder thing to do because they had to say, okay, this was old enough. So the, the, the words were written long enough ago for them to qualify to be part of the Bible. Right. We have to believe that they were inspired by God and they have to fit with what we're trying to say with this Bible. And that last part, is where all the fuckery comes around. Right. So, and and the best example of it that I can give is depending on the Bible that you read, there are two complete and separate creation stories, and there yes. are two complete and separate Adam and Eve stories. Uh-huh. There's the one where God separates the waters and makes the land, and that was written while the Jews were in Babylon, which was a floodplain. And then the other ones where everything was a desert and God makes it rain. And that was when they were big surprise in the desert. And the Jews had a big fucking problem 
because they had to fight against all these pantheistic religions, you know, with a uh, polytheistic and, and having a bunch of gods. So they had to make their God better than everybody. Right. Where it comes up in the new Testament is there's shit that gets left in and taken out because if you're a religion that wants to say the shit in the Bible really happened, you can't have two stories. Right. So they take one out. And in revelation, there's a lot. So everything about the antichrist and blah, 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 and everything like that, depending on how you look at the Bible is the Bible, a bunch of information that's supposed to teach us lessons and give us guideposts on how we're supposed to live our life. Or is it, a list of shit that actually happened and is going to happen. Right. The the fun part of Revelation is everything that we're dealing with here and the Omen movies and all that kind of stuff that, oh, there's going to be an Antichrist and he's going to be really cool and everyone's going to love him, but then Swerve, he's bad, and there's going to be all these fights and everything like that. Whereas the, the, and this is kind of the Catholic view of it, Uh no, they were talking about Nero. And the Antichrist was Nero Caesar, the, the Roman emperor, right. who was persecuting the shit out of the Christians at the time. Right. And there's actually some type of, the, the way they use the language that they use, there was a numeric equivalent for letters, and Nero's name comes out to 666. And that's right. what that all was. Right. So if you're going to take it as boring Catholic way, then it doesn't mean anything. If you're going to look at it the cool everybody else way, yeah. then the Antichrist is going to have dead people on his side. Mm-hmm. Because at the end, it's all fucking bets are off and everyone's mm-hmm. going to fight everybody. And it's going to be like, you know, I don't know, Shaq is going to have to fight. <laughs> LeBron? LeBron, no, he's going to have to fight like Errol Flynn or something like that. Like everything's going to be all mixed up and everything like that. And and Henry VIII is going to have to arm wrestle, I don't know, Usher or something like like It's just going to be a giant throwdown. Well, I'd pay to see both those things. So yeah. And Damia's basic question was: Do the are the dead stuck based on Catholic rules? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is. No. no, except that sort of yes, because they're stuck in. There's only three places you go, and you're if you're dead, you either go to to heaven, hell, or purgatory, which is the big waiting room. Yep. So the only people that could be ghosts would be people in purgatory, exactly. Which is and what our house is. Yeah. So if that's what it is, then there's no there's no biblical rule about ghosts being stuck. Right. Because as far as they're concerned, earth to them is where they're stuck because they're not in heaven and they're not in hell. So it doesn't really matter if you're in fucking Iowa or, you know, Corsica. You're yeah. still not where you wanted to be or intended to be. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I mean, not to keep going back to, uh, you know, Murder House, but it's funny because once um, Addie dies and she perishes before she gets to the house. Right. Um, and she actually is, has gone over, you know, to the spiritual world and she's not stuck. Um, it's funny what she says to Constance through Billy is she's glad that she didn't get stuck in that house because of what Tate really is. 
And mm. I don't think it's just because he was a disturbed child that, you know, hated his family and, and, you know, needed help and didn't get the help he needed and then committed a, you know, massacre. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's got something to do with his birthright. And I think it's got something to do with Constance. Mm. Um, because I, in my readings, and I don't think these are spoilings. I think these are things that we know are going to happen is Jessica Lang is only coming back for one episode and it's going to be episode six, I believe. So we don't have four more to go, but she's not coming back as Fiona. Um, she's coming back as Constance. I can see that. And so I'm curious to know what's going to be revealed about her as Constance that perhaps made Tate to be actually what you would call Satan um, yeah, in, you mean in like, some sorts. How much was nature and how much was nurture? Exactly. Like, did Constance have to, like, sign him up for the right classes and that kind of shit? Right. Like, I mean, so... I. I am a little curious about that because I think I had mentioned to you and I found it to be fascinating just what the book of revelations kind of tells about who the, who this person named Michael is in the revelations world. Now this is going by, I'm, I'm sure the, you know, King James version, but um, he's an arch, archangel, arch angel or archangel, Michael. Yep. And so he's not the Antichrist. No. He's totally different than what we are presuming is the Antichrist. Yeah. He's and he's like the best he's like the best guy on God's team. Exactly. And he's the one that banishes Satan and all of these uh all of his dark angels, you know, or what we could call his cooperative or these military people that were secret military people. Maybe I don't know, just trying to tie it in, but that's what that could be is Michael Langdon may not actually be the antichrist or, mm-hmm. or, or he, you know, he might actually be turn out to be good. I, that's maybe just me reaching, <laughs> but, but I mean, we know how this again game is played and we know that, they are, they like twists and they like turns and they like for you to think one thing and, it, and that not turn out to be what actually happens. That, you know, you're right about that. And that will be, I'm not going to say it won't be a little bit annoying, but also thinking about it from a TV standpoint, I don't really think that they can say, oh yeah, the world ended and then the Antichrist fought, you know, Michael on the, on the, the fucking battlefield and now there's no Earth. Next time on American Horror Story, a werewolf. Like, you're never going to be able to do that. No, you're right about that. But to me, that's where our crossover with the witches might become really interesting. And it might actually turn out to be something very different than than what we're thinking. Right? Right. Right. Um, So those are just some thoughts to maybe digest on before next uh, Wednesday. Because... Yeah, I, I did a deep dive on this. I was like all into the, you know, Antichrist and then who is Michael in Revelations and what what does he actually do? And is it a coincidence that he's Michael Langdon? Like right. 
was he named that, you know, for a specific purpose? So to make me think of Michael Landon, the father on Little House on uh, the Prairie. I know. I was actually looking that up too the other day. <laughs> In between my my revelations and devil <laughs> research, <laughs> I came across. Well, I came across uh, what was that show he was in where he was an angel? Oh god! Oh shit! Shit! Not, shit! 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 It's not touched chat. by an angel, but uh, chat. chat. Someone help! Highway to heaven. Highway to heaven. That's right. So yeah. I actually saw his name and I was like, wait a minute. And then I was like, oh, no, that's the guy from Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> Way to get me, Google. Mm-hmm. So, and but that's, those are some interesting thoughts, I think. And those are some good questions to pose because we, we want to start right off the bat because I feel like they're giving us a lot of information in the beginning, which makes me feel like this is going to be a really heavily packed season of, Information and figuring out who's actually bad. And I use that loosely because I don't believe in bad and good characters. You know, I believe in what one group of characters wants versus what the other group of characters want. Right. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if one of the characters is the antichrist that you're good (laughs) with saying he's bad. But yeah, well, Oh, I do declare. Oh. You know what? I like him, but his brother is my more my bag of. of <laughs> <trip>. <laughs> um, but I guess I'm a forever like lover at heart and dreamer in my mind, and I I want to believe that those beautiful uh, locks are for good and not for evil. <laughs> Rongo bongo. <laughs> so. Um, well, this has been great. And um, anything in the chat that we wanted to probably, you know, shout out at? I think they're going to um, rev up some final thoughts. Damiel said, does anyone else get the vibes that they're being messed with like a human experiment? Probably the witches, because there's a microscope turning in the opening yes. credits. There's definitely some. Well, yeah. I, and that's another thing I do is I, I totally, with American Horror Story in particular, is I obsess over these titles credits like the the opening credits and i go through every single image and i'm like okay and it's like we talked about last week they've they've actually taken some of the images from murder house title credits and they've taken some images from coven and they've mashed them together but of course they've put all of the apocalyptic you know um stuff on top of it the overlay of it and the experimental thing, <clears throat> which almost makes me wonder if that's what's happening at sanctuary, oh. and if they're building a, hmm. if they're if at the sanctuary they're not building a superhuman or some type of super. Well, that's not bad. Super I'd be group, down for that. Super fighting group. I don't know. You mean like a bunch of Miriam milk blooded Miriams? Probably. I, I'd have to say that she. <laughs> There are probably others of her kind out there. I don't want to say that there's not because we still don't know what was eating those um, horses in the bushes. I mean, are they like mutated humans? I don't know if they'd be able to devour horses, but I could be wrong. Right. But I think there is something out there that they've, someone's created. And whether Miriam is a piece of that or something totally different, I, you know, obviously we don't know that yet, but that's very plausible. Yeah, that is plausible. And 
And I do have stuff from the ghost. Okay. And What's she, she dropped about? in. Well, I like the I like the whole experiment idea that Damia said that you were just picking up on. Yeah. Um, the so the ghost was going. Um, she says, "I'm enjoying Langdon's inter- interrogations. He clearly already knows everything about everyone. So he is he trying to assess loyalty, or is he just basically trolling them and having fun watching them kill each other?" Exactly. Do we think that there really is a sanctuary, or is he just telling them that so they think they have something to live for? I like that. I didn't really think of that. Well, that is true. I mean, mm. but he's he's had to have been somewhere. Now, I, the way he came into uh, Outpost 3, he did have a suit on. So it, it, it would have given the impression that he would have been victim to the radiation you know, out in the outside world, right? Like he didn't just roll up and, you know, face open to the world and skin exposed and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But could that be a ruse? I mean, that could all be for show, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I like that. That's and true. is there really, because where has he been? I mean, if there's not a sanctuary, if this is, which, kind of can lend to what Dame Meow is saying about, is he trying to weed out people that he can just go experiment with, Mm. which I still think is him building some type of army to fight something. He's going to fight Jeebus. So, (laughs) Jackie said in the chat, Sanctuary wasn't good in Walking Dead, so it's probably sketchy in this as well. Thank you, Jackie. Dame Meow says Sanctuary is the cheese in this rat maze. And that's not. I like that, that. Yeah, that is. The, I like that too. So then the uh, the other big thing, and I'm I'm gonna save the big big thing from the ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, she she says Emily and Timothy are so happy to bone. They're so horny and bored. They also think they're smarter than the people in charge, which is dumb. But they're at the age where you're much dumber than you think you are. Well, <laughs> this think, is true. You know, and. Uh, they sneak into Langdon's room and find emails saying that Venable is making the rules up as she goes. I think Langdon planted this and knew that these youngins would go snooping. And that, and so she's basically looking at it as Langdon is a puppet master for the whole thing. Yes. And she thinks it's super significant that we now know how much Venable hates men. Because she went on and on when she was talking to Langdon about it, that it was men, the world ends because of men. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know? It's always a man's fault. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then she says, uh, <laughs> Langdon is hella sexual. I think he's just going to seduce everyone before ripping him to shreds. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's going to seduce them, but he's not going to do anything with them. Mm-hmm. He's just going to drive everyone slowly mad. That's <laughs> yeah, true. She... She also thought it was significant when Landon cries when telling Venable about the diseased mother and the child he came across on the way to the outpost. Was it a tactic because he snapped out of it really quick? Or was that genuine emotion that he was showing when he told that story? Well, I found that to be confusing at first. And of course, you know, I've watched it a few times. And each time I've kind of started to build my own little thoughts around that is, does he have some type of conscience about him? You know what, like, like... Uh, he's supposed to be the Antichrist, but does he have some touch of emotion in there? Not enough that he would help, 
you know, the begging mother put her child out of misery, but enough to take pause and think about the feelings or what that must feel like for, you know, a suffering parent or a suffering person in that situation. Right. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting and I'm not going to, I'm not going to get on my bandwagon again, but could be part of him being nice. Yeah, He's not nice. He's bad. So then the other stuff she says, uh, she just pointed out that in one fucking, everybody just loves the office now. And everyone just talks about the office all the time. Uh, the, the ghost pointed out when they were talking about the snakes, she said, this is an aside, but in the office, Michael says Holly is his soup snake instead of soulmate, which is proof that everything is relatable to the office. Yes, I agree. I so still, that's actually I like pretty this great. guy. Yeah, so she's a good ghost. You but here's her fucking bombshell. So now we've got, oh yeah, Jackie Torrance says the kid cried in Castle Rock too, and we all saw how that turned out. Fucking right, Jackie. Bad, bad, bad. Damien said, I think the witches watch him and mess with him for fun, and I think that the witches will step in to protect them from Michael. So, she's looking at it as a triangle. Like, the witches aren't on the survivor's side, but they're also not on Langdon's side. Well, they're... And I'm going to obviously, you know, I'm going to like do more research on this, because this is what consumes my time. But, (laughs) I've got to know... When it comes to the story that they're putting out here about this being a post-apocalyptic world mm-hmm. and this incredibly charming Antichrist who seems to have some type of heart or some type of, you know, um, good part of him. I don't care what you say. This isn't Castle Rock. This isn't the kid. Okay. I right. think that Langdon is good. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but I, I do think there can be good and bad parts to everyone, but I'm not going to get in. I digress on that. I'm not going to get into mm-hmm. that, but, um, you know, but what, what power play would the coven have on this? Like, what would their interest be in this? Are they a direct threat to what the cooperative is trying to do? I mean, there's obviously a lot of backstory that we haven't gotten yet and we're going to get it. But in the beginnings here, it's fun to theorize, like what would they really give a crap about when it comes to that? I mean, they can enchant, put an enchantment on, you know, their digs and what, what they want to keep. And then who cares about the rest of it? Right. Yeah. You can make a case for that. But I think that they also, they need there for, they need for there to be a world. You know what I mean? Like they've got a, they, they, it's what fun is it being a witch if you're the only P you can't go to the fucking store. Like they still buy clothes and stuff that, so having a society is, is on their list of shit to do. I think the, uh, well, yeah, but a witch society, I don't think they have any interest in, in having anything. Well, no, Madison know. likes clothes. No, but I'm saying, I don't think they have any interest in being part of anything human or, or, yeah non-witchy well what i'm saying is because if you remember at the very end of coven cordelia was supreme she had her eyesight and everything back and she was running a thriving and very well populated school for witches yeah but then the other one had a hair salon she well yeah but she wasn't she wasn't part of the coven she wasn't in the coven yeah that's true yeah she had her own thing going on with you know madam madam laveau 
She had her own thing going on. Well, here's here's what I got for you now. This is the oh, actually, um, one more thing in the chat because we're yeah. almost at two hours, which is pretty good for us. Yeah. The, they say the Antichrist will be extremely charismatic with many followers. That's very true. The coven, like most witches, are more attuned to nature, and they balance the light and the dark. Because there's no reason that a witch has to be bad. True. You know? Um, so that's... Very true. I mean, so if you considered them, I guess if they were in, in Dungeons & Dragons, they'd be considered chaotic neutral. Like, Correct. they're not fighting for one side or the other, and they are going to do it whichever way they want to do it, because they don't give a shit about rules. That's what I would say. You'd say, all right, the witches are chaotic neutral. The Antichrist is, say, lawful evil. Right. So he's got rules and everything like that, but he's got bad intentions. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to think that through a little more because I hadn't really thought of it like that. You know what I mean? But I, I think like the that. witches are definitely sort of, well, they're, they're going to sort of even the playing field out. You know what I mean? Well, exactly. And I guess that's kind of what I meant when I was thinking out loud about what kind of role were they going to play in this? Yes, they do want to be the balance in, in the, in the light and the dark, which yes. And if we are looking at a world that has been totally wiped out and we've got pustulous, disgusting things running around out there or, you know, sharing an outpost with you, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's something that they don't particularly want in their world, but. To what extent, though, I don't, I don't, I don't like the word or I don't like the phrase, do they care? But more along the lines of, you know, yeah, they might want to restore the balance, but that would probably be it. I don't think that they'd be trying to fight. I mean, I think that they, they are citizens of the world like everybody else and the end of the world would be the end of them. So they have something to fight for. If they were just going to make their own little island of just their witch school, they could have done that before. Yeah. You know what I mean? They didn't have to be in the middle of New Orleans and and going out to the mall and shit like that, you know? That's so true. I think that, that I'm going to hold out right now for them not being good, because I'm not saying good. It's self-preservation. Without a world, yes. there's no point for them. Right. So that's why they'd be that's why they'd be willing to fight. But now we're almost done. Yeah, uh, I love talking about this with you, Mel's. It's it's really fun, and I thank everybody in the chat. Uh, the chat times a million. Yes, thank you everyone for tuning it's, in and do it without you giving us the feedback because yep. we feed off of it. You see and, what I did there? Yeah, that was a double double. That was <laughs> a good. I'm very yes, yes. I'm and I'm this, very underused here by you. Yeah, that's right. Yes, it's well, you're not going to be because the <laughs> AHS section of Superficial Gallery we're going to start working on right after the show. And it's not just going to be the episodes and the recaps. We're also going to put, if we, if we come across any news during the week or anything like that, we're going to put that up there. So stay on the lookout for that. Yeah. And you you could just subscribe. You can go to superficialgallery.com and subscribe for updates so that you'll get a email when there's something new or try to put us in your news feed or whatever. But I'm going to leave everybody, including you, Mel's. Okay, I'm ready. With the best thing from the ghost. I'm ready. I want everybody to think about it. We talked about maybe Miriam was created by the witches, right? Mm -hmm. What if, says the ghost, what if the witches made a robot with Madame LaLaurie's head? So she's the same 
old bitch, mean, horrible bitch from with Coven. A new, with a new hairdo. And a super strong robot body. Mm-hmm. That's huge. I like it. Yeah, I like that a lot. And you know what? She doesn't even really have to have a robot body because you know what? She's immortal. The, I mean, see? Well, no, but she still needs to be able to walk around. No, no, I know, but I'm saying, like, well, yes, right, you're right about that. But as far as, like, it being possibly, like, rotten flesh and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, no. Yes, she's exactly. alive, but she needed to be ambulatory, so knock her out a robot body, send her over to spy on the cooperative, bingo, bango, you got yourself a, a, a horrible robot witch. And what I like about that is that would also lend to my thoughts on Miriam not being the mole in Outpost 3. Well, not to Not to lengthen. Right. She, she's, uh, well, no. She, mm. but she there's got to be a reason why. There's got to be a reason why. There's got to be something in it for him. Because if they were just being a good little outpost and Langdon never came to get them, then we'll figure out what the motivations of the witches are. Exactly. You know what I mean? So either she was trying to cause them to get reviewed, but that's, then that becomes sort of too intricate because what did they make the other outposts get overrun or anything well, like exactly. that? exactly. I still kind of think it's easier. It's going to be easier if they're just making all this shit up and the, there wasn't really uh, uh, Armageddon. Uh, yeah. And they're just playing, you know, Big Brother purple. I like it. So. And and to one more, th- well, that's a big thought to leave everybody with. Obviously, I know, right? And that's really what I want everyone to to be left thinking about is we do have a Kathy Bates character from Coven, and while they have released everyone's characters that they might be reprising, like Sarah Paulson and um, you know Evan Peters, you know, uh, etc. Could they have not mentioned Kathy Bates possibly being a mutated version of her coven character because she's not really coming back as that character? Uh, If that makes sense, if Laurie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so and we know that the the people from Murder House are coming back too. I mean, Dylan McDermott. So Ben's coming back. Vivian's coming back. Uh, you know, Constance will be back. I, I don't know to what extent, though, the Harmons will play in it. Um, Taisa, is she only going to be Zoe? I don't think she's going to oh, be Oh, she's Zoe and she's the witch. Well, she's no, both. Zoe is the witch. I mean, I mean, uh, her character from Murder House. Violet. I, I forgot. Violet, yeah, sorry. Okay. So I'm wondering, though. Are the witches okay? Because if Madison, if these photos are, are true of you know Montgomery digging up these residents of the murder house before the apocalypse ever happened, because nothing looks like nuclear winter, like we said earlier in this leaked photo or you know whatever you want to right. call it out on the internet, um, they knew what was going on. Are they teaming up with these people in murder house to? kind of tag team what Michael Langdon is doing Hmm. because we do know that Tate's coming back, but is Tate the rubber band man already or is 
you know, I mean, Vivian is his mama. Is she coming to put the smackdown on him? I don't know. <laughs> Man, there's a lot to think about now. There's two, and that's why I say that's why I say like you, the the possibilities are really endless right now because we're only two episodes in. But of of the connection with these murder house players, and then the connection with what we're doing with the coven. Yeah. Uh, as well, you know, like Murder House, mm-hmm. I kind of get to I, like that tie in is a little like, duh, that's what's happening. Right. You know, because right. we know that he's directly related and tied into that. But I, I want to know what the witch's angle is on this. And I think that they're already somehow intertwined into the outpost. So we'll oh. see. I'm excited for next week. Yeah, that's awesome. So listen, everybody, thank you so much for being so great and no we're not sure Damiao that they're overrun at all I don't even I'm not even sure that they exist so we'll find out Uh, everybody if you think of anything during the week that you want to make sure that we hit or anything or after you you know watch the episode or if you hang around on reddit or that kind of stuff anything like that you can always tweet me at Acadia or you can tweet Mel's at Mel's Bells some numbers. What is it? Mel's Bells 84. (laughs) And, uh, or you can email superficialgallery at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, You can also just haunt the, the post of the recap where, you know, uh, Mel's puts all the stuff in text. So, you can put questions in there or anything like that. Just stay in touch because you're the reason why we're doing it. Because like we say every week, we could just be talking to each other without you guys and stay, you know what I mean? So we want, we want to know what you think. It's, it's really important. It is. And, uh, if you want to give us a bunch of money, you just go to patreon.com slash gallery. <laughs> and since now we're doing all these other things, I think uh, this weekend we're going to redo the perks. Uh, for what you get at each level because now we have cooler, better things to give people because now we have cooler, better things going on. So I guess that's it. I guess You're good, Mel's? I'm good, Acadia. Again, thanks, everybody, and we appreciate y'all tuning in with us each Friday. So, Yay. And Happy. tell your friends that they can get it on iTunes if yes. they missed it. Yes, and Google Play, right? Yep. All right. Happy haunting. Bye-bye. Bye.